on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone from whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in. Dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts. Two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Professor Irvin Laszlo, is a world-renowned philosopher and system scientist. The author, co-author, or editor of 106 different books that have appeared in a total of 25 languages. He has also written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. He's a member of numerous scientific bodies, including the International Academy of Science, the World Academy of Arts and Science, and he's the founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and the recipient of various honors and awards, such as Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and he's received honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, France, Finland, and Hungary. And Fred Sal is a business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author and chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, where ancient wisdom and quantum science are fused to create a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life that's mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Well, I'd like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience, of whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, but many are not. It's challenging. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and the book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community, helping us awaken to a new paradigm and a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcasts, but to feel them, to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes, just our ears, because this is the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness, and that's our comfort zone for the long term. So before I introduce today's remarkable guest, Marianne Williamson, let's get really honest about our existence. Irvin, the world is yet again at the precipice, this time perhaps the most defining time. Is the new paradigm like democracy only as good as the informed clarity of its constituency? Is the new paradigm almost like a new paradox in this regard? Because obviously it's important to take a hard look at why we dread our own extinction, vis-a-vis -vis why we collaborated consciously or otherwise in our self-destruction vis-a-vis why we wish to continue as a species. I mean, obviously, we want to continue uh, providing for our family if we have one, much less if we hopefully care about our family. And some of us want to leave a legacy. But before we rally together on behalf of actions that might wind up on autopilot yet again, uh, is it important to really truthfully deep dive and assess this mess of our humanness and why we're invested in preserving it, which better informs how we reconstruct and conduct ourselves within it. Irvin? Well, Alison, you are mentioning a couple of key words that are so important. You mentioned constituency, for example. You now have a constituency which is not national, but global. We either pull together or we, or we pull apart. Or we hang apart, actually. So uh, this is, we have a guest here today who has more than anybody else could uniquely combine a political acumen with great wisdom and, and, uh, and describing you know, the contemporary situation in a way that everybody can understand. My point is this, we are waking up to the need to act, to change, to act together, to pull together. And I think there is some level of political will now developing in this, and, and Marianne can say much more about that. But I see a tremendous gap yet. Call it the consciousness gap, or call it the mindset gap, or could be called the new paradigm gap also. A paradigm gap, simply. 
because still the bulk of the population, that critical mass that really decides how we act, is not yet sufficiently committed to the new ideals, to how to preserve this planet, how to make the planet keep it livable, and how to comport, com, comport ourselves on this planet so that we don't kill each other. So that's the key problem that I want to raise, how to get people involved. Marianne could do that more than anybody else with her very, very popular books and with her actual act, act, activism in politics. But I want to raise this question. We're all trying to do that. We need a new paradigm, not just for thinking, but for acting, for coming together and doing something so that we can maintain this planet in a livable state and we can live and hopefully eventually also thrive on this planet. That's the problem. That's what I'd like to open up today's unique discussion for. Well said, Irvin. I couldn't agree with you more. And on that dynamic note, let me introduce today's truly special guest, Marianne Williamson. She's a best-selling author, political activist, and spiritual thought leader. For over three decades, Marianne has been a leader in spiritual and religiously progressive circles. She's the author of 14 books, four of which have been number one New York Times bestsellers. A quote from the mega bestseller, A Return to Love, is... Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure, quote unquote. This is considered an anthem for a contemporary generation of seekers. Marianne founded Project Angel Food, a nonprofit that has delivered more than 13 million meals to ill and dying homebound patients since 1989. The group was created to help people suffering from the ravages of HIV AIDS. She's also worked throughout her career on poverty, anti-hunger, and racial reconciliation issues. In 2004, she co-founded the Peace Alliance and supports the creation of a U.S. Department of Peace Boy, do we need that. She ran for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States in 2020. And in 2021, Marianne launched MarianneWilliamson.substack.com and the Transform podcast. Wow, powerful stuff. Marianne, welcome. It is so good to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Wonderful to see you again after all these years. And Irvin, of course, you have been such a teacher of teachers and an inspiration to all of us. So it's an honor to have a chance to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Marianne, I, it's a pleasure to see you again, too, after so many years. And the world has really flipped on its axis since I saw you so long ago. Let me talk about this and an extension of the subject that I just brought up to Irvin. Reparations. This has been among your very big themes. Uh, there is a savvy global governance platform called Simple, a simultaneous po policy, the book of which the Simple Solution refers to the need for apology among nation states. Now, we see maybe glimmers of this starting, uh, for example, the recent return of some seized cultural artifacts to nations of origin. Um, in a sense, here's the question, do we first need to mourn the loss of the old paradigm as we would the loss of a long-term relationship with a lover, a friend, a spouse, even if it was painful and dysfunctional before we can truly embrace the new? Do we first need to apologize to each other and nations on behalf of old paradigm bad behavior and trauma that we've inflicted upon one another before we can truly move on? Because after all, we want to avoid the new paradigm becoming a mere rebound relationship, if you will, post breakup with the old. And, um, you know, we don't want to fall back onto, into autopilot with old behavior. And I'm thinking of a certain case in point uh, regarding the proliferation of space exploration with little regulation and the military industrial complex's expansion into this arena, which suggests we're still very married to an old paradigm trajectory. So in a sense, can you play marriage counselor and help us have a happy divorce? <laughs> <clears throat> well, you bring up uh, several things there. First of all, on the issue of reparations, the issue of atoning and making amends for past errors. This is already an established pattern in various places throughout the world. I know you're talking to us from Germany today. Uh, Germany certainly did a full mea culpa for the Holocaust, uh, which continues to this day, <clears throat> including $89 billion 
<clears throat> excuse me, $89 billion in reparations uh, paid by the German government to Jewish organizations um, and um, a guarantee that German children uh, in public schools would be raised with Holocaust education in perpetuity. So the idea of a nation recognizing um, transgressions, one people against another, atoning and making amends is nothing that new. The fact that it is considered such a radical concept uh, in the United States is unfortunate, but this is just one of the ways in which European culture um, has actually moved ahead of the United States in uh, some ideas and some behavioral patterns that for various reasons um, are still difficult to um, uh, to uh, to move forward, um, such as uh, atoning and making amends for slavery in the United States. In terms of one paradigm falling apart, it is true that the conscious citizen right now needs to be both a death doula and a birth doula. <clears throat> one world, as you made clear, is dying and another is being born. I think it's important that we realize that not everything about the quote-unquote old world or old paradigm was bad. Uh, with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, um, back in the late 1800s in Britain, then coming to the United States, there were, and there have always been, the sages, the speakers, the philosophers, the writers, even the scientists who warned against the damage that these changes could bring forth. The transcendentalists, so many uh, artists in, in Europe and in the United States who were warning Western civilization that with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, we were becoming mesmerized by external realities, mechanistic things, rationalistic things, technological things at the expense of our souls, of our inner selves, a balance with nature, etc. So all of the harm that has been done um, it has, been, has been spoken of by people who were too often voices in the wilderness. I think of Irvin himself as, as an example. But at the same time, there have been an accumulation of voices, an accumulation of, of layers of consciousness among people all over the world who have realized um, that we were moving in a perilous direction, a direction where our external collective behavioral patterns were so at odds, so disconnected from the deepest nature of humanity and righteousness that we were on a, a dangerous, dangerous path. Now what's happened is that so many consequences are impossible to ignore by even those who have been holding to the deepest layers of denial that many people are now saying, okay, I get it, what do we do? And that's why so many of us who have been in these conversations for decades are a little bit ahead. It serves us and them that we're a little bit ahead because we knew this was going to happen. We've been predicting this was going to happen. Uh, we knew uh, that the laws of cause and effect, karma, whatever you call it, mean that you cannot avoid the consequences of malfunctional behavior forever. Uh, a species, any species that continues to behave in ways that are maladaptive for its survival will either mutate, will either evolve, or it will go extinct. And now we're facing the prospect of extinction if we do not mutate, if we do not evolve. Now, something that Irvin said was that there is a gap in consciousness. What I think is that the problem is not with the consciousness of the people. Look at, co at the COP conference in Glasgow that we just, we just observed. So inside the building, at the table of power, you had all of the forces that represent the old paradigm, that represent the most regressive political and economic powers. People who, even at their best, are recommending solutions that are too little, too slow, and too late. But look what was happening outside on the street in, in Glasgow. 100,000 and more people, particularly young people, who know that what was happening inside that building is, is representative of a completely untenable level of problem solving. So this brings up the topic of democracy. Democracy means the will of the people, theoretically, is what will be expressed in governmental behavior. Even in the United States, although you wouldn't know it when observing from other countries, but even in the United States, the consciousness of the majority of the people is not the problem. The majority of the people is pretty much left of center 
it wants responsible action regarding the um, regarding the environment, wants responsible action regarding wealth inequality, even wants responsible action regarding racial uh, racial inequality and criminal injustice. The problem in the United States is that because of the undue influence of money on our system, we have a very regressive, extreme right wing more every day, um, a corporatist force that is joining with an international trend of, of authoritarian models um, so that the United States is today facing actually what all of the countries are facing that are represented here in this panel, an extreme right wing authoritarian model that is already empowered in many countries and is certainly making a lot of noise in all of our countries. So yeah, we're, I think uh, it's fair to say Western democracy is in trouble. It's fair to say that um, the, the birth, this is a difficult birth process. One world has to die. Another world is struggling to be born. It's not like, is this the fall of Rome or is it a new, a new renaissance? It is both happening simultaneously. And I think all of us, um, not only those of us on this panel, but I think millions of people around the world are feeling what is going on. It's at least in COET. People articulating it their own ways, some through religious and spiritual lenses, some secular, some scientific, some spiritual, some economic, some political. It almost doesn't matter. What matters is that this new paradigm is struggling to be born. And for those of us who have faith in an internal radar system, in deep guidance, whether we think of this as spiritual or psychological, intuitive, whatever our language, I think we're all feeling right now we're being assigned to the role that we can play. I thank all of us on this panel right now. This is an example. We're joined together, people coming together, knowing that as we converse together, when people share thoughts, they become uh, ideas that are more resonant, uh, that have greater power, and as Irvin said, hopefully, um, greater political power because we cannot avoid electoralism. When you, you can have the consciousness of people can be fine. I mean, look at what happened in Glasgow. The consciousness of people is not the problem. The, the consciousness that, that now dominates within too many of our governmental structures because of anti-democratic forces in all our countries is now the problem. And in that sense, we're literally fighting for our lives. Well, Marianne, what I mean is we have to empower that birth of the new consciousness in the people. How to bring it to that level where it actually can get in, inside the building and can change something and, and, the, and the dialogue that is going there in those decisions. I'm thinking, for example, in my native country that I visit from time to time, Hungary. We have an extreme right-wing government. Yet, almost everybody who is a thinking person in Hungary would like to change. But there is a residue still among those 10 million people who are not sufficiently motivated to really want to change. You know? uh, how to get to that people so that that change actually penetrates, otherwise the hierarchy on top continues to dominate. You see? And I feel very much maybe that's not so legitimate for the rest of the world, but, uh, but I think on the whole we need uh, to, another quantum jump, quantum leap is necessary in the thinking, in the mindset of people everywhere, so that they could be the change that they want to see in the world, you know? That, that there is something actually happening beyond the well-wishing, beyond the manifestation, beyond the protests, but actually make it, make it powerful enough so that it can actually bring in change. Time is very short, and this very aspect of a short time is the motivation, is the hope that we have finally people are waking up not just to sing differently, but to feel differently, live together, live differently, and love differently, <laughs> love each other in, in a way that is always said in spiritual spiritual uh, talking about traditions, talking about. I think the time has come just to give it a little more, the initial kick. People like Marian can, can give that kick. I think that's somehow we need to get it to the next level where we actually act in time. Yeah, at a critical point. Every, every nation has a different psychological propensity. A woman named Anne Applebaum has written quite a bit about extreme uh, right-wing uh, authoritarianism around the world. And of course, she's written about what has happened in Hungary, what has happened in Poland. Um, 
And those same trends, those same trends are certainly showing their face in my own country, in the United States. You know, it's interesting because every country decides for itself. The people of every country decide for itself how to handle these things. We, there is enough, God knows, enough books have been written about World War II. Uh, we know uh, how certain countries um, behaved. We know how certain countries didn't behave. Um, and of course, there are individuals in every country uh, of conscience and enlightenment who do what they can to push back against, uh, against these pressures. I can't speak to what's going on in Hungary because I, as an American, I've certainly read about it. Um, and with great sadness about some of the authoritarianism that has taken hold there, as well as in Poland, as well as in Turkey, as well as in other places. But I know in the United States, I and many, many other people are working hard. Um, um, a right-wing commentator, pundit, uh, named Tucker Carlson recently went to Hungary and was celebrating everything that people like on this panel would be the most concerned about that's going on in Hungary. And he was presenting it on Fox News as though this is something to emulate. But once again, Irvin, I, in my own experience, my own experience, even running as a political candidate, I know in the United States, the problem is not the consciousness of the people. The problem is that the two major political parties have been so sewn up by corporatist forces that are willing in certain ways, one of them definitely to conspire with the new authoritarianism and one um, not showing enough spine to push back against it. So I think that everything we're talking about now means that we need a miracle. And if you're really talking about new paradigm thinking, new paradigm thinking recognizes that there is a power within us by which we rise above uh, the, the common evidence of time and space as we know it. You know, this is where we bring in the furthest regions of science. This is where we bring in the great principles of spirituality. The spiritual revolution and the evolution of consciousness in the 21st century are the same thing. If we only look at these things, when you talk, whether it's Hungary, whether it's the right wing in the United States, whether it's Poland, whether it's Turkey, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's North Korea, we, if we look at these things only from a material perspective, I think it's done. I think we're done. And I agree with what Allison said. They're going to do a geographic and try to take this craziness and with this ancient colonial empire and try to export it to other planets. No, if you only look at it from a material perspective, oh, it's over. I understand all these young people who are saying, I'm not even going to have kids. I'm scared to bring them into this world. But for those of us who really, really believe what we say about new paradigm thinking, who really stand on the idea of evolution of consciousness, we know that where the heart joins with the brain in a level of intelligence that, that even neuroscience now is recognizing, even within the body, that the heart is as much an intelligence center as is the brain, that in the space of universal compassion, whether you talk about this through secular neuroscientific terms, you talk about it as Jesus, you talk about it as Buddha, you talk about it as Moses standing at the Red Sea, I don't care where we look, we get to that issue, that when you your consciousness is raised to standing on the idea of infinite possibility that is always available when we act from love and we purify our hearts of all personal negativity, that we will expand the set of possibilities that exist for the human race. And that's where I stand. Uh, I understand we need to be a death doula trying to be tender with a dying world because there's a lot of suffering and a lot of trauma that, that is part of that death process. But in this birth process, we have to be standing at the Red Sea. We have to be lifting up our rods, which means our consciousness. We need to put our hands over the water. And we need to know that when the impulses of life and love need to get somewhere, that time and space themselves will bend in service to the consciousness of love and where the human heart wants to go. And I am compelled by that vision, and I think many people, and I think that all of the work that all of us have been doing for the last few decades have prepared us for this moment so that we can apply in very practical ways these principles which we've been studying and writing about for years. We need leaders like Marianne Williamson. Then Thank we will you. get to some place. Indeed, indeed. We there we have it. We have all the resources. We have we, we know the ideas, we know the concepts, 
we need to feel it deeply. And this feeling, the commitment that comes from feeling something, feeling oneself one with humanity, feeling oneself one with the web of life, feeling oneself one with the planet. Young people are already beginning to have that. Spiritual people have always had that. We need to have this penetrate to the leadership also. The new paradigm is non-separateness. New paradigm is oneness. And you can always now point to quantum science where this is actually shown experimentally, as you know. We are, what happens in one point also happens elsewhere, not just externally affects that other point. A affects is, is, is also present in B. So we are basically one. And this is not just a metaphor, it's actually, it's science. If we start feeling that and come back from that external manipulative mindset, which says, I want to hurt, I want to strive for power and for, for money, because that's, where, that's my job, never mind anything else. It's, it's a jungle out there. Of course, the jungle is a highly coherent entity now, you know, but we didn't think of that before. If you can only do that, only me, only me, me first, and then nothing comes second. You know, that kind of mentality is such a direct contrast with what Marianne is just now talking about. It was such a direct contrast of what we need. We have to wake up not only intellectually, but emotionally, so that we begin to feel one, to feel our oneness. Children feel that. Artists feel that. I believe great, deeply religious people, spiritual people feel that. It has to spread. I think it would spread because people have that inner feeling, feeling that inner consciousness, that inner realization, revelation, that we are truly one and together in this world, that we are an evolving system, evolving on this planet in a conscious way, a unique privilege that we have to live up to. The whole universe is watching us in a way. Certainly there must be other planets with this level of consciousness, perhaps much higher levels of consciousness. But we are here in this corner of the universe and this solar system. We are the representatives of a higher level of consciousness. We have got to live up to that. If we fail, we fail the universe as such. I think we have to feel the responsibility to, be, to bring these spaces to the next level, not only for it, but for life, for whole world together, evolving, not only to living, but to thriving. I think if we can do that, it seems utopian. But in a time of crisis, in a time of transformation, that door is opening up. We have to seize it. And I'll come back to that. Like people like Alison, like Marion, if they would be speaking on the street corners, as they do in some sense, then I think we have a chance to go forward. I just try to do my little best about this coming forth with the new ideas, with the new paradigm, as a scientific basis. But it's there. If you can feel it inside of, then it will become manifest. I want to be the change that I want to see in the world. That's my ambition. And I hope I can help you and everybody else be a little bit more of that change as well. Well, that level of consciousness is clearly our only survivable option. And failure is um, a scenario and would be a scenario of unimaginable suffering, not only for the human race, but for other species. Um, absolutely unimaginable horrors. And it is important that we achieve a level of fierceness within ourselves, um, a conviction that on our watch that will not occur. You know, the word conviction is, is, is very relevant to me. The Course in Miracles says miracles arise from conviction. A lot more people on this planet love than hate. The problem is that those who hate, hate with conviction. And they are willing to turn their bigotry, their, their imperialism, their racism, their authoritarianism into political force. They are willing to do whatever it takes to effectuate their worldview. And I think now what is necessary is not greater numbers so much as greater conviction among those of us who already do wish to see a more loving, compassionate world. Uh, the answer is not just on the horizontal level, but on the vertical level. You can't have a revolution of consciousness over white wine and brie cheese. You can't have a revolution of consciousness by showing up 
um, to be more loving when it's convenient, maybe on Tuesdays or Thursdays. I think we have enough people on the planet right now who already agree with everything we're saying. What I sense, what I sense in others and I sense in myself at times is, okay, we need to step it up now. We're aligned. We know what's true. We don't, you know, the era of data collection is over. We've all read Irvin's books. We've all read all these books. We've all been talking about this. Now it's time for us to listen to the internal guidance that each and every one of us receives. One of us is told to be in Hungary. One of us is told to be in, in Paris. One of us is told to be in the United States. One of us is told to be in wherever and to show up, which if we're honest and if we are deeply listening to that small, still voice within, we are told, just like cells in the body are told, you are assigned to the lungs, you are assigned to the brain, you are assigned to the blood. I think we're assigned, all of us now, and I think that's the, the moment we're living in. We're receiving our assignments, and um, now we are moving away from mere conversation, which has taken decades of learning, reading, writing, conversing. And now it's um, time for us to demonstrate the level of conviction and I must say courage that so many of our ancestors exhibited at times in their lives when it seemed just as hopeless as it seems to us now. I mean, the people who abolished slavery in the United States, there was no rational uh, reason uh, to believe they'd be successful. Same with the women's suffragettes, same with the civil rights movement. Other generations have stood before us in times that seemed just as darkened as ours do now, and they pulled it out. Let's not be the first generation to wimp out on doing what it takes in our time. And I also think all of us are old enough. What's the worst that's gonna happen? We're gonna die trying. But you know what? <laughs> We've been to the party. <laughs> We've been to the party, and um, I think that we're, there are millions of us for whom the idea that we might die knowing that we didn't do in our hearts what we know we came here to do, which is to birth that new world, is actually scarier than the thought that we might die having been cowed into silence, cowed into complacency, cowed into disengagement at a time when our hearts know that, in fact, this is the time when we must act. Mm. Conviction, complacency, one, one thing, yes, the other, no. And it is as simple as we, that. We, we can try to make it more complicated, but it is as simple as that. May I and ask another something? Point, another word is that I'd like to add to is heart. You were talking about heart. You know, I had, so I had yesterday one of these podcasts with the, with the head of the Heart Math Institute. We are talking about how the heart actually picks up information, it transfers it to the brain. It goes so fast that we think that the brain gets all the credit, actually. But the information came through the heart. So when we say open up your heart, we can mean that not just metaphorically. We really have to try to feel, enlarge our vision, enlarge our identity, so we can encompass each other. And we can start thinking, perceiving with our heart. I think we can all do that. And that I it literally creates new synapses in the brain, new possibilities emerge. We attract more quickly circumstances that are helpful. We repel more easily circumstances that would, would obstruct. We are only beginning to recognize the effects on the brain of more compassionate and mindful uh, thought and behavior. But we are beginning to recognize. We are indeed. We are indeed. It's a race for time now. In a sense, of course, Miracle says that miracles. I'm sorry, Alison. No, go ahead. This is important. No, I was just going to say that in the Course in Miracles, there is a line that says, "Miracles collapse time." That we really are talking about a different. You know, even Einstein said, "Time and space are illusions of consciousness, albeit." Um, a persistent ones. I mean, we're really talking about the idea that when we expand in that unity consciousness, in compassion, etc., that we literally, we literally enter a new domain of possibility within time and space as we know it. We become more what we are meant to be, what we truly are. This is a this is an aberration. That's we right. Are, what we are witnessing in the world today. I, it's not a true it, nation. Absolutely, this is, and I, I say this often in, in my work as well, this is an aberration. This is not, this is not who we are meant it's to be. Yeah. We really are. Mm -hmm.
but we and somehow bought into this. We have somehow oh, yes. so convinced ourselves that the aberration is the reality. And now, in a sense, what Marianne and you, Irvin, are saying is those of us that have somewhat woken up a little bit and are always learning and awakening more are being challenged to believe what we've been teaching, right. saying, writing. Mm -hmm. This is as much a challenge for us, isn't it? It's uh -huh. time yeah. to practice what we preach. You bet. And I want to ask you something, both of you, but I'll start with you, Marianne, about um, you said it's it's no longer time for party time, but I, it evoked a, a, a memory that I had. I had been to a dinner party years ago, and this has to do with racism. I, I wonder if we could just for a moment <sighs> deep dive into the ancient roots of racism, but perhaps in a slightly off-centered way. I was at a, a dinner party several years ago. Uh, and uh, in the kitchen, somebody found a cockroach and everybody started to squeal, somebody killed it. But that um, provoked a conversation, a dinner conversation about if that brown, dark colored cockroach had actually been an iridescent jewel colored, um, sometimes in Southeast Asia, you see these phenomenally beautifully colored beetles or, or they look like perhaps they're descendants of the same family. Would that same beetle, that creature running across the, the kitchen counter, have been killed? Or would we have instead been mesmerized by it? And what might that say about our ancient roots? Um, are we afraid, primally afraid of the dark? Before man discovered fire, he was alone facing that night sky, That unknown, that terrifying unknown. And I wonder if as cultural, ancient cultures and, and rituals have created uh, the use of color and ornamentation as a means of uh, pleasing the gods, if you will, have we somehow learned uh, to be prejudiced against certain dark colors or things that are not magnificent and dazzling and bright and eye-catching. And I, I am being a little basic in attributing this to certain kinds of racism, but I'm just trying to find the, the through line maybe to our most ancient self. Does, is there any bearings on that, Marianne? That. If we go back to the roots of racism, we're talking about fear of the other. We're talking about the idea that we are separate, much as Irvin was saying, we need to recognize that we are one. So the roots of racism do not lie in recognition of color, but rather the the misinformation, the misunderstanding that we are separate from each other. You know, even though racism certainly exists, it certainly exists in my country, it is a, an issue of systems. When it comes to bigotry, however, all, all people of any color, uh, you find the perspective of bigotry. So it could be argued that there might be people on this planet who would be more quick to kill the white iridescent cockroach than the dark one. So, you know, bigotry, <laughs> but the idea that any of us are separate for any reason and because um, so much of the uh, systemic racism, certainly in my country and throughout colonial empires, et cetera, has been uh, perpetrated by white people against dark-skinned people, clearly there is the element of color. However, um, uh, I, I think that the basic spiritual mistake is the very idea that any of us are separate from anyone else. The spirit is who we are, not the body. That is the basic error. So as long as I believe that I'm my body rather than my spirit, then I believe that you're over there and I'm over here. And when I see a difference in our body, then my mind takes this to mean that you are dangerous that if that there are only so many pieces of the pie and if you get some then i get less i also think there's a huge in the united states anyway a huge subconscious sexual element a fear of the sexual power uh of of darker skinned people there are so many subconscious uh there are so many subconscious elements there but i think regardless of where these things come from we're responsible for casting them out of our hearts right now. And there are many complicated problems in the world, but there's really only one solution, as the Course says. You think you have many different problems, but you really only have one, and that is your separation from God. Our 
our unity with God means our unity with understanding that there's really no place where you stop and I start and that we are one. Everything that Irvin was saying, that is the ultimate answer. And until we get there, then for some people it will be let's hate black people. For some people it will be let's hate Jews. For some people it will be let's hate Muslims. It will always be something or someone. And at the deepest level, it's not the form that the racism or the bigotry takes. At the deepest level, we must cast out of our hearts the belief in the, uh, that the other is separate. Even in the United States, you have a um, you abolish slavery, you have um, amendments to the Constitution, you have the Emancipation Proclamation. Those things could abolish the externalities of, uh, of, of slavery, but they could not abolish racism. You can stop burning witches at the stake, but that does not abolish misogyny. You know, we, we have to go deeper than just making these external changes. And I think right now what's happening is that the people into political and economic change are realizing that there must be an internal element. People into spiritual and personal transformational change are realizing that there must be a political element. The statement of this that I find very profound is when Martin Luther King said, the desegregation of the American South is the political externalization of the goal of the civil rights movement, but the ultimate goal is the establishment of the beloved community. And that's really what we're going for in the 21st century. The globe, the human race, will either become a beloved community or we will perish. I must say it behooves us just that it does behoove us to really grok this at the deepest, most level, not only for our species amongst each other, but for nature, for all the other species, and perhaps even for whatever life uh, indeed might be discovered, intelligent life forms we might encounter in the future from other, other star systems, because prejudice and racism right. Please, Irvin. I was, just, I was just going to mention this very, very, very oh, point. Because it's, mm. it's so true. Abolish that the other is separate, Marian said. I would say, what's the further? Abolish that anybody can be other. Nobody is other. We're all living beings on a planet, and we can all strive together, you know. And if we can know that our evolutionary path is bringing us together, then we won't won't exclude other people, strangers, foreigners, others, you see, whether they are just a different color or come from a different country. They are not us. And this us, narrow us concept, who we are is just one group and surrounded by other groups that perhaps are competing with us. You know, you know there's a line, I'm sorry. There's a sign of final one point of reflection. I lived through when I was 12 years old, the end of World War II, in Budapest. My family was hunted down for, for its Jewish origins. And we were just and just survived, you know. Not everybody in our family did, but we managed to survive. This is a story of its own. But now if I think back of those times, as a 12-year-old, you don't feel the horror. You feel the adventure. It was all a kind of adventure. We had to go hiding. We knew that in the next door, there are people knocking on the doors and taking people out and machine gunning down just because they belong to another race, you see. It was an adventure of escaping. If I think back, it's mind-boggling. How could be people who go and kill other people just because they are not like them? And that is something we have to remember because it's something like that existed. Not to that extent, hopefully, as the system in the Nazi Germany was at the time, so, so fantastically organized, but it still exists. And it's something still have to overcome. In our heart, we know that we are one. One with all humans, one with all life, and with life wherever, as, as Alison says, wherever it occurs in the universe. If one can start feeling that, we start behaving differently. And I think the, at the bottom, that's the hope that we have for a better world. There's a line in the Bible, there is only one begotten Son out of the New Testament. The traditional Christian interpretation of the line, there is only one begotten Son, has caused a lot of damage. It's the idea that Jesus is the only begotten Son, which means other people aren't it. 
the esoteric new consciousness, new spirituality interpretation of the line, there is only one begotten son, is that God created us as one. There's only one of us here. The radical difference between the two interpretations of that line make all the difference in the world between the idea that one group owns it versus the fact that all of us are one. You know, the great physicist Erwin Schrödinger said, consciousness is one. There's no such thing as consciousness in the plural. If our the, consciousness is one, then exactly. we are one. Well, that is the begotten sun, the consciousness. You know, the Course in Miracles says you are like sunbeams to the sun, thinking you are separate from other sunbeams. You are like waves in the ocean, thinking you are separate from other waves. There's really no place where one sunbeam stops and another starts. There's really no place where one wave stops and another starts. And there's no place really where I stop and you start. Only on the level of the physical body am I over here and you're over there. I mean, in the realm of quantum reality, which is the new paradigm, we're not, there, there's no separation between us. And also, if you think about it, if I think of myself as one wave in the ocean, and that's all, how could I not live in constant terror that I will be overwhelmed and obliterated by waves that are bigger than me? So, of course, I see the other waves and the rest of the ocean as dangerous and enemy. But if I realize... I'm one with the ocean. I move, the ocean moves, the ocean moves, I move. Then the power, I realize that I, the power of the ocean lies in me as it does in every wave, and there is no danger here. The Course in Miracles says that enlightenment is a shift in self-perception from body identification to spirit identification. And that seems to me the essence right there of the new consciousness and the evolution that is necessary in the 21st century. I couldn't agree anymore. All I want to add is that discussions like this, statements like this, need to be need to penetrate because people will not say that's funny, that's stupid. People will say, aha, I knew it. Honest people will say that because it's in us. Inside we know that we are one, but we didn't act like that. And now we learn the consequences, we find the consequences, and we are beginning hopefully to change and this realization, this new consciousness, this new spirituality, the miracle of existence. Sure, Einstein said you can only two ways to live your life, as if everything is a miracle, as if nothing is. And I think everything is a miracle. It's a miraculous universe. It's a coherent universe of which you are a part. Waking up to that will stop being a, a, a bane on, on life on, on this planet. We will start being a champion of flourishing, of striving, of life. This is the perspective. And this discussions like we're having today, I think, is the way that we can catalyze this new consciousness, waking it up, having, bringing the aha experience. I knew it. Now let's talk about it because it is true. You know it too. Let's act like it. There's a quote that inspires so many, which is, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I think that if you look at all the great religious stories, they all tell the same, the same tale. Yes, there's a crucifixion, but then the end of the story is the resurrection. Yes, Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites, but that was not the end of the story. The end of the story was the entrance into the promised land. Yes, Buddha saw suffering and, and, and realized that, that life is suffering, and he was enlightened under the Bodhi tree. Um, I think we need to recognize the forces of darkness. And I agree with you, Alison, that some of that language is rather difficult. I think we should stay away from that to an extent. The forces of crucifixion, the forces of slavery, the forces of bigotry, the forces of racism. But be willing to look through them to the possibilities that lie on the other side that are like, in the Course in Miracles, it says there is an ancient melody which you can't get out of your head. There's an ancient melody of what's possible, what's true, and just keep moving, keep moving, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Um, the, the Orthodox say that 
Moses was told by God to walk into the Red Sea, just walk into the water. He's like, why am I supposed to walk in? Just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking. And the water was just up to his nose when the Red Sea parted. I think it's time now for us to realize that faith is not blind. Faith is visionary. Faith in what's possible convicted faith in what's possible and that we're on this earth to serve that vision of what's possible regardless what happens we are serving the ages that is the level of fierce consciousness i believe that will take us and take the rest of the world to where we need to go uh, and in time it's the 11th hour but it's not midnight yet <laughs> and we can make good use of it thank you marianne uh, <coughs> thank, thank you, you. Alison. Thank you. It was an honor to be with you, Irvin. And please don't ever doubt, you know, when you look at just even the three of us, how many years I've, I've been reading your work, Alice and I have known each other, and there are millions like us who have all been preparing, and Irvin, you have prepared, helped prepare so many of us. And um, I think we all need to hold hands in great hope and, and um, excitement now about um, the birth that's on the way. It's a difficult labor, but this baby's going to be born. I believe it with all my heart. Well, here's but to birthing. The... Times. Yes. It's, it's the best of all times, actually. If you can just realize what it really promises, what it, what it opens up. So I say and here's to birthing friends. miracles and the miraculous yes. and the miraculous because us lives within the miraculous. So <laughs> on that compelling and really very um, inspiring note, not just with words, but the energy of this conversation is palpable. I'm gonna conclude for now uh, and say thank you so very much. I'm Alison Goldwyn and I thank our hosts, Irvin Lazo and Fred Sow and today's truly special guest, Marianne Williamson, for inspiring such a stimulating conversation of hope and possibility and the reality of that and inviting all of you, our listeners, to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Well-Being. And consider this, that the holiday season is fast upon us, and it may not feel like a holiday for many. This book makes a wonderful gift of uplift. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us, so when building a new paradigm for humankind, let's try to include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. And now to conclude our program, here are some thoughts from our co-host, Fred Sal. So what are your views on the need to first acknowledge the past mistakes and the past errors of our paradigm before we're able to embrace this new paradigm? What are your views on that area? That we must first accept the past before we can move to the new future? No, actually, to be honest with you, the, we, the conflict always come out because their difference in worldview. And more important, that difference in worldview is not about its origin. It's all about a lot of religious dogma and stuff like that. It's interpretation. Now, what offers today is that the quantum uh, paradigm and the new life science of consciousness actually can bridge between physics and metaphysics create a new structure that actually validates all these religious differences and paradigms, but creating a new languaging for them to communicate each other. And this languaging would clean up some of the religious dogma to come to the true essence of the worldview of each of the religion. And therefore, uh, I'm working with Irvin to create six books on this dialogue. On top of that, we are in the economic world. And in this new economic market, uh, economy-driven reality, we also need to interlink that with the reality so that the reality of what's happening on the ground, which is economics, and the paradigm and religion got synchronized into a language we can communicate a commonality that we can work with. So this is some of the work that we're doing right now. Which is very interesting because it leads to the next question is that, Mary, uh, during the interview she said, the consciousness of most of the people is there. That means the people are ready for this change to welcome this new dawn. 
The only issue is that the political system, the US democracy per se, as what she put it, is in trouble because it is, uh, there's money power behind it that's driving the politicians. And even the recent COP26, we have seen two different groups. One is within the, the discussion panels, inside the walls, whereby they're discussing the political leaders of, of the world, who are actually coming up with measures and policies which is too slow, too little, and not enough. Whereas there's another external group, which is the public people who are on their own, hundreds of thousands of people rallying. And these group of people, they have a voice, they know what needs to be done, it's just that they are powerless. So in this context itself, right, what can we learn from the, the Eastern aspect, the wisdom from this? What are some of the things that we can emulate, which allows us to expedite this change that's much needed in this world now? Well, you know, we have to understand that all activity to meet human desire is economics activities. And this current ethical issue, because of the lack of, of structure and, and worldview, business, therefore, is free in the deregulated world to work on the ignorance and greed of humans. And when business wake up and become ethical, they understand what they need to do and what kind of thing they want to promote. Certainly, we don't want to promote a, a, uh, a moral social media that whatever you want, I give you more. And I'll bring you to more ignorance because you will see everything as you want to see and you will believe that what you see is real. Every language you want to use is highlighted into everything popped up. It's almost like there's an algorithm for every client in the social media and that has out of control co-creating content to bring you more into your delusionary ignorance and greed or vanity or whatever you call it. And so um, whether it is separation and conflict or whether it's unity from the COVID, it is great because in the quantum paradigm, the separation and then the reintegration, this constant change of, of disintegration and reintegration is part of the process into better integration. And what do you mean by better? More integrated, more holistic, okay? And so now, for example, you see that in America, wow, people are fighting so many things between collective and individual. And it's actually like, I don't want my life. I don't care about my life. I care about my freedom. I care about my democracy. I don't want to wear a mask. I want to go against wearing a mask. I'm against having the shots. I'm against, I'm against, this is against my personal freedom. Now, what happened is, through this process, the government wake up to two reality. One is, in America, Biden already said, unifying America is my top priority. Now, whether he can do it is another story, but there's a realization shift of consciousness. Oh, man, we cannot continue like that. The other, I'm sure, is in everybody's mind, and they're looking into the China, which they blame no democracy, no freedom, no thing, is that, hey, deregulation and deregulation into a totally unmanaged so-called democratic reality then everybody's fighting over their rights of their own desire. And the market has become a problem. And look at the capital market. Deregulation, deregulation, and today it becomes a gambling economy. Now you have securities that are actually insecurities. So how are you going to do? So I think that more regulating will happen because we've overshot more ethics is going to be explored and more unity effort will be done because the problem is so exposed that the public, the government, the leadership is focusing on this new reintegration. And China uh, demonstrates a different thing that through control and management and especially managing stability, you can actually prosper faster. It's like riding a bike. If you control and you ride it and you're stable, it actually can ride faster. And you can see 
the managing stability has helped China not to create bubbles, not have gambling economy. Now, it seems like a lot of control. You can call it control, you call it management. If government does it, it's called propaganda. If they hire a company to do it, it's called marketing and promotion. It's just a different way of calling it. But most important is the results. That you cannot deny. We can have fear, we can deny. I think just look at the results. And I'm not saying that there is uh, only one way learning. I'm only saying in this regard, I think we can learn something from China. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Piba Dupont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sal, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, the podcast on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Allison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. Bye.